Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Julie Cullen. I'm the managing editor of American Nurse Journal, the official journal of the American Nurses Association. I'll be serving as moderator of today's webinar. Our topic today is Rethinking Staff Shortages, How AI-Enabled Proactive Staffing Boosts Nurse Morale and Patient Access. In today's webinar, nurse leaders and industry experts will provide their perspectives on the critical and growing nurse shortage, further exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic, its resulting healthcare worker burnout, and both patient safety and fiscal impacts. We'll identify the unmet needs resulting from the conventional staffing approach and explore the potential of novel technology to help break the staff chase cycle, enabling nurse managers to craft a comprehensive staffing strategy to improve healthcare working conditions and patient care. To maximize your webinar experience, please take note of these important housekeeping items before we get started. First, today's webinar will last approximately 45 minutes. You can submit your comments and questions to info at myamericannurse.com. Second, a full recording of the webinar will be available within 72 hours, and all attendees will receive the link by email. The replay of the webinar will be available on demand for one full year. You can access it free of charge and as often as you need. Our panelists today are Danielle Bowie, Shauna Gunn, and Brian Dickerson. And now let's begin. Welcome, panel. So turning to you first, Danny, um, with the nurse shortage at crisis levels, even before the pandemic hit, what are the flaws or shortcomings of conventional approaches to staffing that keep nurse leaders chronically in fire firefighter mode? Yeah, that's a great question and something that I think many health systems unfortunately experience and live in the cycle of. Um, what I discovered, I spent years researching staffing and scheduling and my doctoral program in addition to I live it in a, on a daily basis for Bon Secours Mercy Health. And often what I find are a couple different um, scenarios that lead to this, this fire flight, you know, uh, scenario that we're living in. And um, typically what we see in the planning process for many hospitals or health systems is there's often a, a, a insuffic insufficient methodology used, which is a planning method where you use a single average number representing a patient census. And that can be at midnight, and it can be either on a daily or a monthly basis. And this, unfortunately, is not an accurate approach when trying to plan your staffing and scheduling because, as we know as healthcare leaders, our census is fluctuating throughout the day day of the week, even month or year. And so this creates what's called a flaws of average. And so it leads to some growth over understaffing on a daily basis. So it creates poor schedule management. It can negatively impact nurse retention or job satisfaction. And ultimately, the hospital's operating budget is impacted because the methodology used is just a bit outdated or insufficient in what we need. Um, additionally, oftentimes we find health systems undervalue or under-reward the process of staffing and scheduling as well. So the literature found that many nurse leaders uh, spend significant time doing this work, but they don't have the right support or motivation or tools or technology to do this. So it just continues to perpetuate the cycle of living in the crisis of daily staffing and not having enough, having too much, 
and uh, not creating a smooth process for our health systems and getting the right nurse at the right place at the right time. And I would add to that, I think, you know, there, there's an awareness issue in the industry because when we talk to prospective clients on a daily basis, quite often we're educating them on what can be done. Um, so we work with them and make them understand that data and data science can give them more information um, to make better and more strategic decisions so they can plan for staffing in advance. Um, you know, they've done staffing a uh, the same way for many years. And they, you know, they've gotten very good at staffing in a reactive mode, and they just don't necessarily understand that there is a better way of doing it. Ryan, I couldn't agree with that more. Conventional staffing approaches are often very focused on in the moment, and we had our own very reactive staffing process before we implemented the work, workforce strategies. In the moment, staffing approaches require nursing leaders to be constantly focused on staffing. And this approach leaves them minimal time to focus on connecting with their team, mentoring new nurses, perhaps quality and those safety initiatives aren't getting the focus they need. Um, the forward-thinking approach of staffing while utilizing the census forecast allows you to be more proactive with your staffing and really align that to the resources and look at the predictive um, admit discharge transfer that you might have at any given time on an individual unit and really focus the resources where they're needed and perhaps maybe share the resources where they aren't needed and just ensure that the resources of the bedside staff meet the care demands of any individual unit throughout that turn of the patients. Thanks, everyone. Shauna, your thoughts here. Nurse turnover currently averages 17%, which is significantly higher than other industries. And while a great majority of healthcare organizations cite nurse retention as a key strategic in, in, imperative, only a little over a third of them have actually implemented a formal retention strategy. Why is it, do you think, that nurse retention more reflect, is more reflected in actual operational practices or planning? Why isn't it? That's a great question, th Julie. Um, as we referenced in the last question, when nurse leaders are acting in reactive mode, it allows little time to focus on some of the key components that really assist in connecting individuals in the team and also to the organization. The constant communication regarding schedule changes, help needed, extra shift pickups sent out to nurses um, during their home time and their time to really reconnect with their family and their self outside of their already stressful career really doesn't leave them time to just decompress before they go back to that next stressful shift. Um, so getting more proactive and more focused and when you're reaching out to your team really helps with that retention and also being more strategic on when you're moving nurses. Having worked as a float nurse myself and then also um, leading those moves in the centralized staffing office, um, it's, it's really challenging when you don't feel confident or competent when you're being reactive in your nursing your nursing care. Maybe you're starting the day on one floor and you don't feel like you've been proactive enough for those patients you're caring for, yet you're being pulled to another floor that needs that support. And then you, in turn, learn that um, a smarter move potentially could have been made by sharing resources in another avenue. And being more proactive and aligning with the turn of the patients and really looking at that census forecast and allowing the nurses that time away from the bedside really will promote more of that retention um, and just those connections with the team. If those nurse leaders are constantly looking at staffing, 
are, are they missing an opportunity to mentor a new nurse on the floor or just connect with their team in general? That's a great point, Shauna, and I, I would I would echo very similar. I think that the part of the challenge is such a big task to, to, to attack retention because there are, are so many aspects of nursing that are difficult. Arguably, it's one of the most difficult jobs there are with the emotional, physical, and the strains of, of doing the job, and I think keeping people at the bedside is an imperative that everybody needs to, to, to work towards. And it starts with, you know, giving them a better staffing uh, assignment, making sure that, you know, if you need them to be flexible, that you're putting in them in a position to be successful. And that's hard to do when you're in reactive mode. And it's hard to do when, you know, you just don't know what's coming your way. And by having, you know, some, some, some idea on what, what's coming down the pike, managers have a better opportunity to put people in situations to be successful and deliver care where they feel competent and less stressed, and it has a bigger impact on keeping people at the bedside. Yeah, Brian, I would agree. Um, I also think from an organizational perspective, you know, nurse retention is a huge priority because it's also, it can be anywhere from 20000 to 40000 replacement costs when a, and a nurse leaves. So there's a lot at stake, not only just with cost of replacement, but also the environment of uh, creating a good work environment and um, building the team morale. And I think also what's happening, the operational practices of retention, it can be a challenge because, as we mentioned before, staffing and scheduling, you need the right tools, you need processes in place to formalize those operational plans. I believe health systems are moving in this direction. I know in, in particular uh, the health system I work for, this is a huge focus and effort of ours, and we're putting strategy into operations. And it's moving and it's happening, but that takes focus and energy that, um, you know, if you're caught up in daily staffing activities, it may be challenging to accomplish as a nurse manager, as a director, as a CNO. So the effort and the hope is there. It's putting that plan in place or the tools or the processes in place to really drive that home. And really what we find, too, in the literature is staffing and scheduling are key drivers for retention and recruitment. So the more we impact that that environment in a positive way with, with good outcomes experienced by your frontline staff, the more your retention and recruitment will continue to improve. So that's another component is you want to operationalize your staffing and scheduling along with other retention activities that health systems may um, have at play um, that they consider in, in, in their process. Thanks for those insights, everybody. So, Brian, um, beyond its detrimental impact on nurse retention and, mor and morale, are there actual patient care implications to what we'll call status quo, reactive staffing processes and consistently operating at critical staffing levels? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, the, you know, when we look at staffing, we look at how long does it take to get your staff aligned to the needs of the patients? And if, if you're in the reactive mode and you're, you're constantly in, in this firefight to figure out how to align staff, it takes time to do that. So you, you, you're wasting time that the caregivers could be spending with the patient, giving them the care they need. Plus, you're putting these, these caregivers in situations where they're, they're running from assignment to assignment, they're, they're stressed out, they're, they're, 
you know, sometimes feeling that they're not necessarily in the best position to provide care. And that, that then can be, you know, can be seen by the, the patient. And it, and it doesn't help that care delivery experience. Where by using the tools to be proactive, where you're prepared for those patients before they arrive, your staff has more time to get acclimated to, to what they need to do and make sure they have the proper transitions and make sure they have the time to figure out what the care plans are needed for those patients. So, you know, the, 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 the age-old adage is if you have a happy staff, that will transition to better patient care and better quality outcomes. Brian, I couldn't agree more. And the more proactive you are, um, that allows you that strategic approach to look at what you have as far as level of experience and not simply just the numbers of nurses on a, any given unit. Um, there's a lot of value added in unique care models, whether you're adding a clinical outcome nurse or a virtual nurse with 10 plus years of experience that's able to mentor, maybe a cardiac floor that has less nursing experience there. That's going to have much more impact than adding just another number of a nurse there. So the more proactive you can get and seeing those needs coming down in alignment with the patient demands, um, the better you can utilize the resources you have and some of that competence and expertise to really really add support to the floor rather than simply adding numbers. Yeah, I, I would agree. We know that <laughs> I believe a nurse is not a nurse is not a nurse. You need the right nurse at the right place at the right time that will have an impact on the quality patient experience and outcomes. But to do so, as we continue to speak to as a team together here, saying what our experiences have showed us is that it does require technology, it requires process, it requires policies, so you're able to see your workforce, as well as what understanding what's happening in your patient ex condition or the patient environment, and then align the, the workforce with the patient need to get those outcomes. So it's, it's not easy, uh, and intuitively we know staffing has these far-reaching implications, and it's working towards getting those systems in place and those processes in place to understanding our workforce to provide high-quality care to, to patients and uh, also to give them the best experience uh, while they're in a, such a, uh, an environment of receiving care and, and um, going through what could be very traumatic for them. I would also add that, uh, you know, the time we give back to the managers when they're not doing 24 by 7 staffing, um, which is a, a term that I've heard quite frequently, that time can be invested and is invested in dealing with helping the caregivers grow as a, as a, as a professional and also spending more time with the clientele, making sure they're getting what they need, they're happy, um, you're getting your patient satisfaction scores where you need. So that, that also does add to the care delivery experience. Thank you all for those. That was some great information. Danny, um, labor costs for all positions in hospitals represent about 60% of hospital costs and are the greatest driver of operating expenses. Nursing costs alone account for 18%. Meanwhile, insurance reimbursements fail to keep up with healthcare cost inflation. Given the ever-thinning margins and the impact that efficient staffing has on both patient safety and nurse retention and job satisfaction, what steps are hospital systems taking to improve their staffing practices? This is a, this is a big one. And uh, this is in the forefront of, of many hospital leaders' minds. Uh, 
the cost of our workforce, but also the need of our workforce. And so um, there are many strategic initiatives that I, I believe health systems are putting together. One, you know, I work for one, Bon Secours Mercy Health. This is a big priority of ours in, in ensuring that we have um, the best workforce to provide the best patient care experience, but we also want to make sure that we're managing our resources well. And so um, I, you're going to hear me say it time and time again, but the steps that need to be taken uh, consider technology as well as considering revamping of processes, so how do you do your staffing and scheduling process, as well as your policies that support that, as well as just operational teams. So what teams do you have in place to do this work? So it's a, it's a multi-pronged approach to make sure that we are providing excellent patient care, but also managing our resources appropriately and not overspending. And furthermore, this work doesn't happen overnight. It takes a, a system's focus and dedication. You want to establish the right governance within your nursing structures to ensure that there is the flow of information um, from the front line. And then you also have to uh, evaluate how you turn your strategy into efficient operations. So it's a journey, and it's, it's a never-ending journey. You don't have an, an end to this. It's something that you continually do, and I think you you get better with time as you evaluate the processes and your policies and technology um, and bring them all in alignment together. And I would add that waste is, is, is more costly today than it's ever been. And by having systems that help you see the future and see what's coming down the pipe, you have that ability to see the waste before it happens. And, and, and they need, uh, as Danny said, they need technology and infrastructure that it gives them that foresight that drives their ability to see a possible problem, address it beforehand. One of the clients I'm working with, Health First in, in, in um, Melbourne, Florida, we're rolling out a proactive productivity monitoring. And then what it does is it, it basically looks at the future and says, based upon what you have scheduled and what we're predicting your staffing is going to be, here's how your productivity is going to look tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Instead of waiting until after you're already in trouble and addressing, it gives them that foresight to make those adjustments in advance so you make sure that if there is, and we still do find in this day and age, times where there are extra staff, that you're deploying them properly in advance and making making those savings. Thank you, Danny and Brian. So turning back to you, Brian, um, what can healthcare learn from other industries such as airlines and amusement amusement parks, which use artificial intelligence to predict customer demand and timely resourcing to meet that demand? What are the opportunities and benefits of predictive analytics that can be leveraged to alleviate the nurse leader's constant staffing chase? I think the, the, the thing that we can learn from that is that it is possible to run a business based upon understanding data. You know, these industries, they use data to understand where they're going to be busy, how they need to deploy staff to, to make sure that they can accommodate for that workload, and, and based upon the trends and the things that happen. Sounds very similar to what healthcare needs. And I think, you know, using technology, there's a possibility of understanding things that are, are ex extremely important. Obviously, where is the patient going to be um, when, you know, at a certain time, a certain day? Where are they going to be so I can have my staff aligned to that? You know, where are there opportunities for 
uh, uh, predicting when a, um, a test might be missed that might be a blocker for a discharge or when some block time in OR is going to go unutilized and where you can actually transition and give that time to somebody else. So data can, can, can illuminate the, the problem areas in advance. And it's not like you have to do everything based upon what the data says. It becomes another tool in the holster that allows you to make better decisions. And the proactive decisions and the easy decisions are the ones that, that are most important. Brian, I know that you and I have discussed this quite a bit, but there's a few examples that we have here at Mercy One where we kind of turned back towards the mindset of maybe some of our conventional staffing approaches before we innovated and really put um, the proactive workforce plan into place where we had some upcoming staffing shortages we were well aware of around the holiday. And we really leaned into that data and looked at the census and, and let that guide where we targeted our resources rather than simply adding incentive layers and adding nurses into the numbers. We really looked at what the prediction was for our admits and discharges throughout the week and really let that guide where the focus was and perhaps maybe didn't get into that crisis mode because we saw what was coming and could align those resources pretty quickly. Thanks, Shauna and Brian. So let's take a look at a case study. Shauna, you mentioned um, your experience at Mercy One. How did the predictive staffing features of hospital IQ system address the acute staffing pain points of, your own or of that organization? Yeah, Julie. So we did implement um, the Hospital IQ Workforce Management System into our centralized staffing office. Um, and really, I think the biggest return on investment in the time um, that we invested in implementing this innovative program was just the amount of time that was given back to the leaders um, and the staffing office that were spending so much time chasing numbers, constantly updating numbers, the phone calls we were constantly doing, pulling pulling charge nurses from the bedside to just verify that what we saw in our scheduler system was truly what they had and ensuring we were matching those resources. So really, I just I can't speak enough about the time that was returned to our nursing leaders and also our bedside staff um, to not constantly be looking on that staffing. We have more efficient communication now. We have a streamlined daily process that took out a lot of the physical rounding and a lot of the rounding via phone. Um, to ensure the appropriate patient care coverage is there without spending the immense amount of time that we were. Um, we're able to proactively adjust our nurses' staffing levels and perhaps um, work on maybe some partnerships between floors that we see some upcoming staffing gaps where we could really focus on the retention um, and building those teams between a couple different units rather than floating individuals from their home unit across the whole division. Um, the staffing levels known in advance really reduced the number of last-minute moves and call-offs, just overall improved our operational efficiencies and improved the transparency we had across the entire division of what those staffing numbers were. Prior to the initiation of this, we often had the culture of unit-level staffing protection. Um, if those numbers aren't known, then maybe we won't be asked to help others, but then just really helping everybody understand what the big picture was and that B1 culture, if we were really smarter about that proactive staffing and making those moves, patient care would be positively impacted along with your nursing morale by getting those resources where they're needed rather than reacting in the moment and maybe not making making an, a less ideal choice in that moment because you really were in crisis mode. 
And I'll echo a few things to that. I think that uh, some of the things that Mercy accomplished was was amazing. But one of the things that came out of a side effect that I didn't foresee was the the managers would start looking at the the, the staffing plans for the upcoming days and start to rearrange their days so they didn't they didn't they didn't want to be short staffed on the same day that everybody else was. So it gave that that transparency where they started to balance short staffing. And that sounds kind of strange, but, you know, if you're if you're going to be short-staffed on a day where all the other units are short-staffed, then that's going to create a problem for the float pool to help you. But if you have an opportunity to move one of your people so you fill the gap on that day where everybody else is short and become short on a different day, it really helped align and, and make things easier for the, for the, um, uh, for the staffing team to, to fulfill the needs. And the other thing that we saw and which we were taking advantage of, of is really using the staffing office to become more of a strategic tool than just chasing down data and filling in uh, and filling in needs. They started with the time we saved them. They started proactively looking into the future and helping the managers with what they needed to do to be more proactive. So they became a tool for the organization, which I think was one of the things that, that I was most proud of when we did the implementation there. Thanks so much for sharing those experiences. So Brian, another question for you. Are there tangible metrics that can be directly extrapolated from the adoption of this kind of predictive staffing technology? Um, that is an excellent question, and I get asked that every day. So yes, there are, and uh, you know it really comes around cost savings in, in being able to plan better. Um, let's take the you know the reduction of incentive pays for uh, for example, and and obviously in, in the current state where it's COVID and everything, this doesn't play out as much as it used to, and I'll talk about how we do things today. But um, by basically setting up uh, guidelines around when you can use incentive pays based upon when the forecast is showing you you really need to use it, you know, can drive substantial change and drove a reduction of, of premium pay and mercy of, of around 50%. And also being giving that time to the manager to, to better improve what what they're using when they're utilizing overtime. Um, that also drives a significant value, which can eat, lead to that reduction of premium pay. In the, in the world today, though, the, some of the challenges the organizations are having is in some cases, you know, because of a lack of staff and, and overwhelmed, organizations are closing down beds. So what we're finding is that even in these times where they're so short-staffed, our system will still find up to one to two people per shift that is in an overstaffing situation. And, and if you think about that, that's the ability to open up up to eight beds on a shift and put more patients in, which is adding revenue to cost that's already being incurred. So there are substantial metrics. And, and you know, the other thing is the cost of turnover and, and, and that it's a little harder to measure, so it's, it's, it's not as, as concrete, but it is significant. And Danny, and Danny talked about that before. Yeah, I, I mean, spot on with what Brian was saying. Uh, we definitely, uh, metrics that we evaluate when staffing scheduling are going to be things such as premium spend or incentive, agency use, and, and what is that looking like? Um, 
any overtime, and then also trending our retention and engagement. So what is the engagement of our workforce? Uh, what's their sense? You know, oftentimes you see with surveys around staffing and scheduling or just our work environment. Those are key indicators that uh, should also be considered to give you an understanding of the environment. So uh, always cost savings in addition to um, the environment uh, in which uh, the nursing staff is working and to get a pulse of how they're feeling with their staffing and scheduling. Thank you, panel. So I have one final question for everybody. What are the key takeaways you'd like to leave with our ANA audience today? Um, let, let's start with you first, Danny. Sure. Thanks, Julie. You know, I'm. This topic is so near and dear to my heart. Um, it, as I mentioned before, this is uh, scheduling and staffing with my thesis doctorally for nursing. So it's a very complex process. Uh, I also live in this space professionally, so I do a lot of staffing and scheduling work. And I, my parting thought to our audience and to nursing in, in general is the challenge that, that we can do it differently. I would really challenge us to think about prediction, AI, and making the necessary preparations to embark upon this journey. As I mentioned before, technology isn't isn't the only solution that's going to solve everything. We as leaders have to do the work in prepping for that technology. So that requires the ability to um, create standard coding or data capturing for our workforce and how we code in our systems, creating the right policies that that allow for a flexible work environment for our employees. It also requires um, looking at the process, your organizational structure, and making the necessary revisions to be prepped and ready to move into the space of prediction, automation, and support where we absolutely need it and should be uh, setting ourselves up for that. So I know that there's a lot of talk around this, and it's possible, and I just want to continue to challenge my profession and myself even to think differently and to embrace a change uh, and to look forward into the future and continue to um, uh, pose the question, how can we do it better? And also look to those other industries and say, what are they doing and what can we learn from uh, and adopt that into healthcare? Because ultimately, you know, we're living towards the same vision or goal, providing the best patient care that we can. And so we want to make sure that we're getting our workforce where they need to go and that they feel like they have the right tools and resources to do their job and to provide that best patient experience. Um, so uh, it's exciting times to live in, and I'm really hopeful for the future and where we're heading as a profession and as a healthcare um, industry in general. And I would I would echo that and add that, you know, obviously this the 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 data science and the prediction is possible it's available and it when it's when it's built with workflows that are designed to make the life of the nurse the person providing care the leaders there easier it can drive great value and you'll see viral adoption um so i i encourage everybody to take the leap of faith and and and, and embrace the data when they can um, you know, the, the, the healthcare staffing is a huge challenge for every manager. Um, and the nurses leaving bedside, I think the statistic is 33% of nurses will leave the bedside within two years of starting, which makes their career shorter than the average NFL running back's career. 
I think we need to target that and use technology where it's possible. Obviously, staffing isn't the only the only thing to do there, but it's something we can do, and we owe it to our our team to try to make their 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 work life balance better and make their job their care delivery experience better. And by using the tools, it's possible. So take a leap of faith and 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 and, and, and embrace uh, some of the technology and 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 put your best foot forward to make the life better for those people. Absolutely, Brian. I believe that we have so much to learn um, through the utilization of AI, predictive methods, and just really leaning into the data. Truly, the opportunities are endless, and I think we quickly learned that one here at Mercy One, um, operating a centralizing st centralized staffing office prior to having an efficient, transparent, data-driven workflow um, was just a tedious and time-consuming time process. And I, and I really don't know um, that anybody was really pleased or benefiting from the process. And just from the patients to the bedside nurses to the nurse leaders to the staffing office, just the improvement and the efficient workflows that we had when we really leaned into the data and let it drive our day-to-day. -day. Oftentimes in healthcare leadership and in leadership in general, we become so busy with the day-to-day -day that it can be challenging to focus on um, turning your efforts to an innovative process improvement project. Just that one more project seems like it, it, it may be the thing that sinks you, but when you do dedicate that time and focus to innovation, that time is returned tenfold. And by just efficiencies and improvement of your workflow, It'll be worth the time investment, and truly just the the positive outcomes that you that you'll have from that work. Um, technology assists us with transparency, and really that's what's needed for that culture change, and that's what we really needed with our centralized staffing office and just overall staffing here at Mercy One was just that positive culture change, and the technology really was that catalyst for us having that transparency and the team involvement and engagement in the work. The tool allowed. The, the culture change spoke for itself at the end of all of the work that we did, and I can't thank Hospital IQ and Brian enough for just kind of rolling up our sleeves and putting in the investment and the time and all of the work that we did and just really transforming our staffing process here at Mercy One. We absolutely still have work to do, and it's an everyday challenge, but I can't think of where we would have been when this pandemic hit had we not invested that time initially and had this tool to really help us pull alternative resources to the bedside and really look at how we were best utilizing additional incentives and maybe pulling in some agency staff and just really optimizing the resources we had to take this pandemic face on and provide for our community here at Mercy One. Thank you all. Um, audience, we welcome your questions and we'll answer as many as time permits today. So let's start with the first question. Um, I think, Shauna, this might be a good one for you. How did this help you during the pandemic? Yeah, so having the staffing and tool in place um, at the beginning of the pandemic really helped us best organize and understand our overall resources and then quickly be able to have a tool to help us organize additional alternative resources. Um, we pulled some unique staff to the bedside that maybe weren't caring for um, patients at the bedside prior to the pandemic, such as pharmacists to assist with um, medication administration, um, some nurses that might have been non-clinical that were pulled to the bedside as tasking to help those that did have patient care assignments. Um, this tool really helped us organize and look at what other 
resources we had that we could potentially pull to the bedside um, and really overall assisted with our team engagement also just to have those unique teams coming together to provide patient care during such a challenging and unique time. And um, here's another question. So as we look to the future, um, perhaps the next 10 years, can you comment on the role of, mandated of the mandated nurse to patient staffing ratios and how they may impact retention and workforce needs? Yeah, uh, I'll take this one. This is Danny. So, you know, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, and there's a lot to unpack with the statement of mandated nurse to patient staffing ratios. You know, we, we look across the states, and we know some states have some staffing laws. Um, this has also been discussed at a federal level. And um, one thing that I, I would say is uh, as organizations and as professional nurses, we re really need to evaluate how meaningful uh, a mandated uh, nurse-to-patient staffing ratio is. And, and the reason I'm saying this is our intent is good. We want nursing to be able to care for patients. Um, but such mandates actually impose on organizations uh, a lot of uh, legality and oversight that actually can take away from the duties of staffing and scheduling. So the intent, I understand, is good, but I, I think mandated ratios have uh, can have a negative impact when at the at the federal or state level. And in fact, it should be um, the nursing profession, the organizations. Uh, intently looking at what's going on with their staffing and scheduling and spending time on covering that um, and developing some solutions that can meet the need. Our ultimate goal, of course, is the right nurse at the right place at the right time. And so we need to be able to have the ability to evaluate critically and do so with the right infrastructure and build. And if we're mandated with a number, but we don't have the tools or the resources or the understanding, we're actually just kind of moving backwards, in my opinion. Um, so uh, I think that uh, organizations should um, continue to move down this path independently and, and nursing continue to advocate for staffing within their organizations. But, uh, but a mandate, I think, creates some pretty severe restrictions on our profession um, that we have to manage now. But, uh, you know, I want to look to Shauna and Brian to see if they have anything to add for that. Yeah, Danny, I'll just quickly add um, great thoughts there. I think um, mandated ratios, as you referenced, can sometimes um, be a little bit challenging to unpack and really determine what the what the personalized patient care goals are and are those perhaps lost in mandated patient ratios. Um, perhaps you're overlooking maybe some of those unique care models that could be added when you're looking simply at ratios. Is there a clinical outcome nurse that could be layered on the current staffing that you have on any given unit that could really focus on some of those quality and safety outcomes, or perhaps adding an admit discharge transfer throughput focused nurse that could really help those at the bedside focus on the patient care and then have somebody really focus on the turn of the patients. Um, another unique model that we've done at Mercy One is a virtual care model where we have virtual nurses providing support, um, looking at the physician communication, family communication, second set of eyes for the nurses virtually. So I, I would encourage to look at unique and innovative care models rather than simply the numbers as you would kind of reference, Annie. Uh, 
another question here. Um, I've been trying to do something like this for some time, but my leadership team doesn't think the timing is right. What would you say to help overcome these objection, objections? I can speak to this a little bit. This is Shauna. Mercy one. Um, so in healthcare, we always have so many priorities, um, patient care, patient safety, staffing, everything is the forefront. And it, it often feels like there isn't a good time to tackle a new innovative project that's going to take a lot of resources and a lot of focus. Um, I would encourage you to really stress um, to your team and your leadership, though, that that is all the more reason to work on operational efficiencies and work on an innovative process that will return some of that time to you. Um, so we at Mercy One, prior to working on some of these operational efficiencies and staffing, were really challenged with nursing leaders um, being so focused on staffing so much of the time and reactive staffing and just always thinking about it in the moment. Um, when we were able to get a little bit, and actually much more than a little bit, efficient and forward thinking in that process, we were able to focus on some of those other important components like manager relationships with staff, mentorship, um, mentoring that positive work environment, and really turning the focus to some of the patient safety and quality measures that the nurse leaders were being challenged to really tackle it all when they were so focused on staffing. Thank you for that answer. Um, here's another question for you. Um, what sources of information are you using when trying to determine optimal staffing levels to meet goals for excellent patient outcomes? I think there's two parts to that, and I'll take the first part. Uh, you know, first it's developing a, a solid uh, forecast of what the future workload is, what is the staff we're going to need. And that's done by, uh, by understanding first history, um, which changed a little bit with COVID. Obviously, history uh, suddenly became uh, a non-factor. But, but history, uh, looking at the current activity in the OR, what's going on in the ED, uh, and then external factors, you know, what's the influenza trends going on, what are uh, in today, what COVID trends are going, and, and using that information just to drive a forecast that, that gives you an accurate picture of what's coming your way. And then putting that in the hands of the staffing office and the managers and the house supervisors in a way that they can they can understand and communicate amongst themselves to determine what's the right course of action, what's the path we need to take to do the best with what we have. And Shauna, maybe you can add a little more to that. Yeah, so some of the subjective knowledge um, that this system allows us to communicate quickly and in real time in an efficient way is it's, it's somewhat of a text system um, where the charge nurse can quickly say to the secretary, hey, can you let the staffing office know about the security challenge we have on the floor today or this one-on-one -on -one or this behavioral health um, need that we have for maybe some of those subjective additional staffing resources? Um, and that's really aided with our efficiency and staffing knowledge and just having the overall understanding of what the staffing needs are of any given unit on any given day by having some of those quick text options to communicate between nursing leaders and the staffing office um, really quickly rather than pulling somebody away from the bedside with a phone call or um, lots of back and forth phone calls like we had before the system was implemented. Uh, 
I think it looks like we have time for just one more question panel. So um, that question is, can you talk a bit more about the size and characteristics of the staffing office? Who, how many, skills, et cetera? Um, I'd like to hear more about the float pool, a tool used in the 70s and 80s that went away in recent past. How do you recruit, orient, and reward? I can speak specifically to our staffing office at Mercy One. Um, we do staff our staffing office at Mercy One with nurses. Um, we have one nurse for acute care division, and then we're working on implementing one nurse for critical care um, division also. Uh, we found the investment in having a nurse, um, often some of them with some leadership experience in the staffing office really helped lead some of those just staffing conversations, proactive scheduling knowledge. Um, and we really found value in that and continue to um, the implementation of a more efficient process could absolutely lend itself to having um, less of a skill set there, but we're currently continuing to work on that RN ability in the staffing office. As far as the float pool, um, honestly, uh, having worked in the float pool as a nursing leader and also as a nurse myself, I think that having just the flexibility and the fluid ability of a float pool is one of your strongest assets, assets as an organization. Um, to have skilled nurses that have a vast experience and just knowledge that can step in on several different specialized units at any given time really adds value to your workforce and the ability to combat maybe some call-ins, some acuity challenges, what, whatever may be your staffing challenges of the day. Um, we do compensate a little bit with a differential. Um, we do look for a certain amount of experience and then do provide some additional specialized training and um, just continued support for those nurses to be able to jump in on different skill set required units at any given time. I would, I would, add, I, would add to, I would add to the staffing office. One of the things we do when we implement the system is we, we look for efficiencies and we our software creates efficiencies in the staffing office. And, and really, we transform that team from being more of a, a data chaser and, a, and a, a collector of information to being more strategic and more proactive and working side by side with the unit to help them understand the things they can do. Um, so transforming that team and having the right resources to, to become more proactive and, and, and change is pretty important to the process. I'm sorry, Danny, I kind of cut you off there. Hey, it's totally fine. This is this is what it is when you're doing uh, lots of remote work together. So, um, no, I, you know, I think the staffing office too. It, there's no one right way of doing it. Shauna's model is a bit different than the models I've implemented in the past, where staffers actually are non-clinical and they have oversight of a, of a nurse leader, but we recruit in uh, non-clinical to help support uh, the the work of staffing, scheduling, and timekeeping. And it's based off of the size of units they're supporting. So you want to do some analytical work to understand the workforce, headcount they're supporting, and also specialty, whether critical care or med surge, women's, et cetera. So there's ways to, to revamp your staffing office um, based off of, you know, what your objections, uh, objectives are as, as an organization. In regards to float pool, you really can build float pool um, in a variety of ways, and I think the key thing is understanding 
where are you spending, for instance, with agency? Where do you have unfilled shifts? Where do you have overtime and premium spend? And in doing so, that analysis then will help you build a float pool or a resource pool um, to help meet the needs of your organization. And I would challenge us as we head into the future uh, with the pandemic on our hills, right? We've, we've been living in that. One thing that we've needed to have is a really a workforce that can move quickly into different sites. And so any way that we can design our staffing offices and float pools to be nimble and meet those needs um, is going to be key, I think, not only for current state, but continued on for the future. Well, that concludes our program to, for today. If you have any questions that we didn't have time to answer, feel free to send them to the email that you see on the screen. And thank you again, panelists, for sharing your thoughts today. And thanks to all of our attendees. We hope that you found this webinar um, to provide you with some pr pragmatic, actionable steps as we strive to be, to be optimally staffed to best serve our patients. And I want to thank you all again for joining us. And please stay safe.